Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Bina Amanath, who is the founder and CEO of Humans for AI, a nonprofit empowering artificial intelligence literacy, and the managing director of artificial intelligence for Deloitte. First up in today's tech news, Microsoft exposed 250 million customer records. And this is something I've talked about over and over again, especially that it's not just for small companies. The biggest companies are guilty of this too. It's just um, sloppy processes which allow things that are not meant to be out in the open to be out in the open. So Elasticsearch is a tool to do your store your records and simply put, a system administrator forgot to make sure that that data was put in a secure location. And so for three weeks, anybody who could get to the Elasticsearch database could actually search on these records and find this information. And as I always say, if it can happen to Microsoft, it can happen to you. All over the news this week is that the CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos' phone was hacked, and he claims it was hacked because the prince of Saudi Arabia, the crown prince, sent him a video file that turned out to be infected uh, through WhatsApp, the instant messenger, pra- messenger platform. And so he's claiming that it was intentional. Um, I'm not going to get into the allegation, but I am going to warn you, and I'll actually talk about it on Cyber Tip of the Week, that anything that you receive, an attachment, a file, can be infected, and she always use caution. Apple reported that they originally intended to encrypt iCloud backups. And this was always a question because they very much secure certain data on an iPhone. So why would you not encrypt everything to the same degree? And they actually said for legal reasons, it would complicate a subpoena from a law enforcement agency. And so they did not want to take that extra step to encrypt everything end to end. There's a lot of consternation about that. I'm sure there'll still be more discussion to come. Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of Google, he had said that he supports what the EU is proposing on banning facial recognition or artificial intelligence for the next five years. It's not been decided yet. It's still in the works. But this is something that Bean and I will be talking a lot about on this show, which is ethics and AI and why people are concerned about it. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Bina Amanath, who is the Managing Director of Artificial Intelligence at Deloitte and the CEO and founder of Humans for AI, a nonprofit here in Silicon Valley. Welcome back, Bina. Thank you, Keith. I'm happy to be here. Bina, it's always great to have you. So why don't you catch us up? Uh, When you were first on the show, we talked about Humans for Artificial Intelligence or Humans for AI and all the great work that the organization is doing. Where are we at with that right now? 
Yeah, so we have actually made uh, quite a bit of progress since I was last here on your pro- show, Keith. And uh, one of the big ones is we set up a foundation along with UC Berkeley, Haas School of Business. And the foundation is primarily focused at giving scholarships to women and minority candidates or any candidates who would otherwise not have access to take a class in AI or to gain AI literacy. Uh, and we are launching our first cohort in March, so very excited about it. The other program that we're launching is really a virtual conference, and that should come out in May, uh, but really focused on uh, taking artificial intelligence by profession. So we will do AI for nurses, AI for physiotherapists, AI for teacher's assistants, so by profession, going deep into AI and uh, how it specifically affects a certain profession. Well, let's take a step back. Let's talk about the mission of artificial humans for artificial intelligence. Oh, yes. Uh, so humans for AI is, as it, its name indicates, is really about getting all humans involved in the design, development, testing, policy making, everything about AI. We should need all humans. Today, it's a very elite community. It tends to be mostly people who have studied computer science, have worked in IT, or have a PhD in machine learning data science. And I think, you know, uh, AI literacy is a foundational right. <laughs> and all humans should be at least basic AI literacy should be part of their uh, vernacular to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And I remember that when we first discussed this on the show, that uh, a lot of fear in the workplace, I mean, there's lots of fear, uncertainty, and doubt around artificial intelligence in general. So we'll get to that later in the show. But just in terms of what people are concerned with today is yeah. loss of job and the lack of career skills to stay current because artificial intelligence is seen as something that will automate out certain skill sets in certain professions. And that fear is still very much existent since I was last year. I don't think that fear has changed as much uh, just because, you know, the hype around AI is still very much there and there there are jobs that are getting replaced, but there are also lots of new jobs that get created. Right. Uh, but we live in this era where it's all about headlines and, you know, clickbait strategy and you just see all the negative news getting amplified. Personally, I'm an AI optimist, but I do think we need to push more more AI literacy. We need to be bringing in more diversity into AI. Uh, uh, And unless and until we do that, that fear will continue. Right. So that's back to the mission of humans for AI. I think it's uh, very impressive. I'm actually also grateful that you've asked me to join the board of advisors. So I'm happy to that. Because I think that it's key, as we were just discussing, because of the fear, people are staying away from anything related to AI instead of embracing it. Um, I, you know, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's the fear that's stopping them. Mm-hmm. I think it's because they do not understand uh, when they read an article about AI. Uh, uh, think about an elementary school teacher. She reads it and she just doesn't understand. It doesn't make sense, right? She just doesn't understand what does machine learning mean or what does facial recognition really mean and what are the implications? Because we as the people who understand AI, we have not taken the time and effort to make it accessible to that elementary school teacher. So how, you know, I think part of the responsibility lies on us to make uh, make them aware of how AI works. And uh, I, I do not think it's just fear. I think it's a lot about it is they just don't understand what they're reading. It's like you and me reading a 
medical report with codes. We do not understand medical code billing, and it won't make any sense to us, right? It's a it's a great <laughs> point you're making that it's not necessarily fear, but just the lack of education around it, and that's where the mission comes in. Exactly, exactly. So with the mission of Humans for AI and the two programs you mentioned, uh, what's next on the horizon in terms of a near-term goal? Yeah, uh, so right now we are in the process of, uh, as I said, bringing AI literacy. It's a three-day class offered at UC Berkeley campus in partnership with Humans for AI, where the focus is really around basic data and AI literacy. So if you have a high school education, you should be able to take this class and then walk out of there empowered to read a news article about AI and actually understand it. Is there a cost? Uh, it is completely free. This is part of coming out of the foundation money. It is available to any Bay Area uh, resident at this point uh, because it's on campus and uh, the meals are provided. We also provide transportation from the uh, Bay Area to be able to come out to campus. Um, so it's uh, really be uh, making something available to somebody who otherwise would just not have had the access to take an AI literacy course at UC Berkeley. And how do they sign up? They sign up by reaching out to Humans for AI. Email email us at uh, AIAI at humansforai.com or bina at humansforai.com is also a great way to reach out and find out more about the class. And, and bina is spelled B-E-E-N-A. Yes. Thank you, Keith. So thanks for the background. Throughout the show, we'll remind people on how to get a hold of Humans for AI because it's just this wonderful opportunity to get literacy around artificial intelligence. You're listening to Keith Kuh, Silicon Valley Insider, special guest Bina Amanath, who is the CEO of Humans for AI, a local nonprofit empowering artificial intelligence literacy. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Kuh. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to the Silicon Valley Insider Show with Keith Koo, joined with special guest Bina Amanath, who is the founder and CEO of Humans for AI, a nonprofit promoting AI literacy, and also the managing director of artificial intelligence for Deloitte. Welcome back, Bina. Thank you. So, Bina, here's a great question for you, especially with all the news, how San Francisco banned facial recognition how the EU is considering a five-year ban on facial recognition, and Sundar Pinchai, just also from the CEO of Google, just said he also supports that. Why is there so much um, in the news about banning artificial intelligence? Um, I think I go back to my earlier comment about you know the fear combined with the lack of AI literacy, uh, because unless and until you understand the technology, our policymakers are not fully prepared to make the policies. This is one of those cases where you need the policy makers to understand the basics of the technology. You need the technologists working very closely with the policymakers to be able to come up with the right level of policy. We cannot leave it to the private sector or to companies to come up with the policies. We cannot leave it just to the policymakers to come up with the policies. And we live in an era where, now when it is, which is usually our 
unusual, right? Where companies and policymakers come together to form policies here, it just won't be built unless they come together. I think so. We're talking about bringing together two demographics, which otherwise would not normally work together, and uh, and I think I personally feel that there are some technologies we should just you know think very deeply before we do any research or before we release it out to the public. We need to think very deeply about whether this technology can be misused and what are the guardrails we're putting in place so that it doesn't get misused before putting it out there. And I think that's what's going on, especially with facial recognition. We do not know at this point how that technology can be misused by bad actors. And I say this often, that technology by itself, you know, AI by itself is not good or bad. It's about who uses it and right. how it's trained and how it's used. You know, we can use it for good, but we can definitely use it for bad too. So how do you prevent it? And, and I think that's true of all technology. So exactly. Th so thank you. And I think especially because facial recognition is so close to people's minds, um, I think about deep fakes and the ability to use artificial mm -hmm. intelligence and the ability to uh, create images of real people doing, you know, looking real. I remember in China last year, they talked about the first news anchors that are fully uh, virtual people. Yes, exactly, exactly. And there was, there's also the fear, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the biases just come naturally into facial recognition because so much of AI is about machine learning, right? It all depends on the data it was trained on. So how do you ensure that you're training on all possible kinds of human faces so that they're all recognized and you know provided the same level of personalized service if, it's, if you're a retail company? How do you ensure that you are training you have a training data set which encompasses all possible human faces? And that's or where the ethics comes in. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is a really important topic and I'm glad you're here because you're an expert in this area. Uh, we talk in humans that there's confirmation biases. And so we talk about how you can program biases into yeah. artificial intelligence. The, the actual programmers, the developers, they already have from certain uh, background, they have their life experiences. And so therefore it enters into the AI. You're talking about how to ensure a, a population of information that is non-biased. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. And you know, unless and until you can ensure that, um, you know, you have to be very mindful of putting in the guardrails in place that those biases don't creep out into the real world. Um, and, you, you know, I think that's what really large companies that's working on advancing AI should be focusing on some, solving some of those um, not so cool problems, right? Cool, cool problems are when, you, yes, you can recognize, you know, you can scan a million MRI machines in 30 seconds, yes. uh, MRI images in 30 seconds, that's cool and sexy. But saying that, oh, we've put guardrails in place so that our data is not biased, that just doesn't make the headline. So I think, you know, you need to be working on those pieces, you know, unless and until we do that, AI's re AI really won't make the progress it needs to. Yeah, there was a story, and I don't want to name the company because I forgot which major company, but it was about how they didn't have enough African-Americans to um, get a sample size. And so they actually were giving yeah. out Starbucks and other things um, to like Starbucks gift cards. Yeah. I'll set it back up again. People were standing outside of Starbucks gift cards saying, hey, if you let us scan your face, you'll get like a free drink. Yeah, and yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And so again, I don't want to mention which of the yeah. potential companies it was, but 
It was in the news, yeah. and there was a lot of negative uh, publicity and negative press about that. Absolutely, and remember there was a game. Uh, I remember it made the press quite a bit on you know uh, upload your images and we'll tell you what how you look like hundred years from yes. now or how you will age. And you know it was just free data that people so, were giving up, including celebrities. So so that was an Eastern European company, like either on gathering. Android or iPhone, mm-hmm. and um, in terms of the terms of service, it didn't say what they would do with the data or what the privacy policy was. Exactly. And then another case of uh, China, which is considered one of the leaders in facial recognition, and China being a very homogenous society. Yeah. Uh, and, and China's actually doing a lot of work in Africa to build infrastructure. Uh, they basically paid um, numerous African governments a lot of money to obtain a billion faces. Wow. Yeah. See, and that begs the question, is that ethical? Did that person know they were signing it off? And, you know, maybe maybe they did get all the, you know, the right privacy terms and agreements in place. But, you know, it begs the question, are we being really mindful of building this technology, of gathering the data? Uh, the other thing that I've seen, you know, in my years of experience, we tend to talk about data privacy separately from ethics, and I just think it needs to be part of, you know, ethics is a broad topic. Mm-hmm. We do tend to get really focused around bias and fairness, but it encompasses so many aspects. Uh, privacy, I think, is a big part of, you know, should be spoken in the context of ethics. Absolutely, and that's where I think uh, having folks like you leading these kinds of talks and efforts is very helpful because when I think about the conversation we had earlier around how policy shouldn't be separated out, I also think about how oftentimes technology gets politicized. Yep. And so it's almost becomes um, sport to make laws or regulations that might not make actual sense to technologists or people who understand the technology, Yeah. but it's good sound bites. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, thank you. Um, you know, I, I try to do my bit, um, and I think, but we need more technologists out there educating the uh, and educating the general population about these new technologies, which is essentially going to impact everybody. And that's why I think uh, you should mention again, which we talked about in the first segment, <laughs> the work you're doing with the Fisher Institute, UC Berkeley, what Humans AI for AI is doing with that program that's coming up in March, a free AI literacy program. I think you should reference it again. Absolutely. So Humans for AI has partnered with the Fisher Center for Business at UC Berkeley, and we have set up a foundation called Alliance for Inclusive AI. And as part of it, we are offering free scholarships for uh, deserving candidates to uh, to be AI literate. And we're hoping to attract candidates who otherwise would never have the opportunity to get a course like this, especially from UC Berkeley. It's completely free. For more information, just email info at humansforai.com. Okay, great. And if you want more information, you can also email us at info at svn.biz. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Once again, Keith Ku, Silicon Valley Insider, with special guest Bina Amanath, CEO for Humans for AI. And we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Bina Amanath, who's the founder and CEO of Humans for AI, a nonprofit empowering AI literacy, and the managing director of Deloitte. 
On this week's cyber tip, I want to go a little bit more into how to keep your WhatsApp account safe. So earlier in the show, I talked about how Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, had his phone hacked, and he claimed it was from a malicious file being sent through Instant Messenger on his WhatsApp account from the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. I just want to mention, because WhatsApp is such a widely used Instant Messenger platform, that beyond just being careful about what you send back and forth in files, it is important to secure the account itself. And this is how you should do that. In WhatsApp, in the settings, you can actually enable two-factor authentication. So when you open up the app, you can see the three dots on the top right hand of the screen. Hit settings, hit account, and then pick two-step verification, and then pick a unique six-digit PIN number. And that is how you can keep your account safe. And then once you do that, it's very important that you never, ever share the six-digit account because that is when, if you let lose sight of that or if you share it, that's where somebody can actually take over your entire account and start pretending to be you and using your account to spam others or send malicious files to unsuspecting users. So with any application, just always be mindful of how you're using it, what access you've given, and that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Bina Amanath, who is the CEO and founder of Humans for AI, a nonprofit empowering artificial intelligence literacy, and also the managing director of artificial intelligence for Deloitte. So great to have you here again, Bina. Thank you, Keith. So Bina, I think we should dive into a topic that doesn't often get recognized when we talk about artificial intelligence, but it's actually machine learning. And it's not taught about much because it just isn't seen as something super exciting. Yeah. But it uh, is really important. Artificial intelligence sounds, uh, you know, it's been around since 1956 and it just sounds like a real threatening way when we compare it to human intelligence. Whereas machine learning seems mild. But if you look under the hood, most of what we're doing with AI today is machine learning. Um, most of the use cases focus around that. So, yeah. And so let's go into a little bit about what machine learning is. Uh, so essentially, you look massive amounts of, uh, you know, one of the use cases really which you hear about is about predicting, whether it's user behavior or machine failures, um, jet engine fail, predicting jet engine failures. It's all about looking at past historical data and then predicting what the future will look like. Think about the farmer's almanac. Are you familiar with that? Of course. Yes. So what what did that book do? They looked at historical data and all the weather conditions during that time and then predicted what this year's crop looks like, right? So the simplest way to explain, I think, you know, that's that's the automate that's when you automate it, that's machine learning. In the most simplistic way. I know there will be purists who will argue on that. Uh, but you know, that's that's it. That's the essence of it. And um, yeah, you know, one one of the uh, things that I talk about often is, um, you know, we we've built software systems for a few decades now. You know, software solutions we've built it. Like you and I grew up in the era of you know Pascal and C and Cobol, yeah. the early languages, assembly language. Uh, but now, uh, and in the past, when you built a software system or a software solution and you deployed it into production and it was live, it was fully tested and it continued to perform 
in the same way that you would expect it to perform. There might be one or two minor bugs, but the features, the functionality didn't really change dynamically. It just was that static software that performed in a consistent way. And we call those systems reliable. I think we have to re uh, think about reliability in this new era of machine learning systems where the 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 app, the program that you deploy is continuously learning and changing, right? Right. And how do we ensure that that reliability piece is tested in a continuous way? That you are continuously testing whether that uh, the model is being used in an, is being trained on bad data, which it can be trained, right? Because it's l learning in a continuous manner. I, I can think of two stories. So one yeah. story was Facebook. It's just so people can understand the context. Facebook had a had created a bot and another bot, and they developed their own language Yeah, that, yeah. that no one at Facebook could decode, and so they killed the programs because they yes. didn't know what they were doing. Yes. Uh, there, there's another one. Uh, Microsoft yes. uh, had a chatbot, Tay, built with very good intentions uh, to be able to engage with their customers in a better way. Absolutely great intentions, right? To be have that continuous engagement with uh, with your customers, great use for AI. But it got you know trained, and it became very uh, quickly. I think it was in less than twenty four hours. It was. it was trained to be spewing bad words. It yeah. was um, so, so really bad, and they had to pull it down. So so basically, as Bina said, within twenty four hours, it became a very racist chatbot. Yes, and uh, and uh, you know, but it's a lesson learned for all of us. And um, uh, Microsoft did right, the right thing and pulled it down. And, uh, you know, but those are things we are learning. This technology is still evolving. The systems, the processes we've used for the past 20, 30 years to develop software systems and deploy, those have to be adjusted now for machine learning systems. And I think that's where, that, where, where people really have that fear of science fiction, that super AI, super intelligence. You hear Elon Musk thinking yeah. that, unfettered AI is going to dominate the world. And you think of the Terminator movies, um, Skynet. That goes back to, do you believe that uh, humans at some point will not be able to contain this? Or you think that as long as they are able to keep up, they'll be able to make the right adjustments so that even with self-trained applications, that they'll still be able to have intervention and, and not get to that step. So I have to say that up front that, you know, I, I love the work Elon Musk is doing and I do love, you know, the passion and the energy that he puts into all these projects, which is really, really big. And but I don't fully agree on this um, theory of his that, you know, humans will be <laughs> will be replaced by machines completely and humans will become obsolete. I, I, I think it could become, but that's a worst case scenario. I think humans are too smart to let that happen, we are going to wake up and we are going to put in all these guardrails. We are going to get AI, everybody trained on AI literacy and we are, you know, we are not going to get obsolete. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. There will be, um, you know, I have to also admit I'm an AI optimist yes. and that's why, you know, you ha as humans, we are going to find ways to survive and thrive. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, and from a pure technology side, I don't think we are anywhere near uh, from both from a hardware, software, machine learning advances perspective where we can build super intelligence the way it's meant to, right? We are still in the very early stages of AI. 
So once quantum computers are ready, <sighs> you know, there's still a lot of advances to be done in the foundational pieces before we can get to, you know, yeah. super intelligence. And, and quantum computing is a different show that we'll yeah. have, you, have you back <laughs> on to talk about. So as an AI optimist, then, what are some of the exciting things you think will be happening in the horizon? Uh, one is I'm really, uh, you know, even when I was on the uh, your show last time, Keith, you know, what I've seen in the past year, a lot of advances in uh, most startups working on sustainability issues, on fixing climate change challenges, um, on, uh, you know, I've seen more and more startups trying to solve, you know, s- um, you know, the really hard, icky problems like how do you prevent human trafficking? How do you identify human trafficking victims and rescue them sooner? All by using AI. Um, there are also a lot more startups in the ag tech space, agriculture, right? That's you know that's a big part of humanity, and you know it wasn't there was not as much investment going in there even two three years ago, but there's now so much uh, investment going into ag tech. Um, education, you know, that's one of my pet, uh, you know, my passions is really about driving education and literacy. And I definitely see more and more a personalized education getting put out there, more startups working on it. So all this gives me a lot of hope that we are slowly beginning to work on the uh, really hard, complex problems that humans have faced for a long time. And I'm really, really hopeful um, that we can um we can change some of the dynamics around climate change and sustainability. Um, the uh, work we, you know, the problem challenges we have with, um, you know, providing food for everyone. And there is so much to be done. And uh, what have you seen in uh, medtech? In medtech, in healthcare, yeah. um, there's definitely a lot of, you know, you hear about that uh, a million MRI images being scanned in a nanosecond, and that f- drives the fear and hype. But really, what I've seen is where um, a- where AI just becomes another tool in a healthcare provider's arsenal, where the doctor is able to have more conversation, and the AI is taking the notes and putting in the medical codes to send it for billing, whereas my doctor definitely spends more time with me in a human conversation, trying to have a more broader approach than just the problem I went there with, right? So I see that AI becoming a tool that's helping doctors be more of a doctor. And when I compare AI as, quote unquote, an emerging tech compared to blockchain, you hear a lot about the U.S. and other governments trying to regulate blockchain. You don't hear that as much in AI, but just it's not that it's not happening. It just that might not be um, out in the public's mind. Do you know of regulations that's happening in AI? I know the U.S. government just issued um, uh, AI pr- uh, regulate uh, well AI guidelines principles uh, to be used by enterprise by companies. Um, so there is a lot of work going on. There is uh, a lot of going work uh, going on under the office of the U.S. CTO, and uh, you know really bringing in industry thought leaders and together. Unlike blockchain, I think AI is much more complex and uh, domain specific. It's like you cannot have one regulation. Uh, cutting across all industries, right? It is like when you look at healthcare, there is HIPAA. When you look at aviation, there is FAA. So the laws have to be very specific depending on the industry and sometimes depending on the subset within the industry, right? So it's just going to be very complex. So you'll see advances in some and advances uh, moving faster than the others. Right. 
Well, Bina, thanks a lot. It's always great to have you on the show because we're out of time for this segment. I want to remind everyone that Bina, Humans for AI, in partnership with the Fisher Institute at UC Berkeley, are offering a completely free AI literacy course. You can go to info at humans for AI or info at svin.biz to find out more. Um, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, do look us up. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Bina, again, great to have you. Thank you, Keith. And don't go away because on The Pivot, we're going to be talking more about what's in store with the future with Bina and Humans for AI. So we'll be right back. Thanks. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, joined with Bina Amanath, who is the founder and CEO of Humans for AI, a nonprofit dedicated to improving AI literacy for the public and the managing director of artificial intelligence for Deloitte. Welcome back, Bina. Thank you, Keith. So, Bina, we're now here on the segment called The Pivot, and I think it's great to have you back because I wanted to talk about where technology can actually enhance and improve lives. I think that once we talked earlier on about the fear people have around certain technologies and then how literacy will help them get over that fear, and that's definitely what Humans for AI is dedicated to. I wanted to now talk about once you get past that, yeah. what happens next? Yeah, and look, I think technology has helped us so much, like just in our lifetimes. I'm totally dating myself here, but you know, growing up, I didn't have a mobile phone. We had, you know, those landlines, and yeah. you know, I have teenagers now who've never even seen one. They look at it and they don't, you know, they don't understand what that device is. I remember when we used to go, uh, you know, even when um, when maps and the internet had just started, we used to print out the directions. Uh, before going from yeah. place to place, you know, before that it was asking somebody for directions, um, and now you know I, I do not even remember the way. You just know that you know maps is going to take you there in the most efficient, most optimized manner. So I think technology has uh, you know already improved our lives a lot. Um, it has come with some side effects, which we should talk about. Uh, but you know, continuing with this map theme, what I you know think what's going to happen is you know soon we won't even probably won't even have phones as our devices that device will be sitting right next to our eye or ear right if you think of the all the advances going on with uh, glasses mm-hmm. right there's uh, you know there's a in- lot of intelligence being embedded in there where you can uh, you can actually you know see the maps right in front of your eye moving as you are driving so it's going to be very interesting uh, what um, you know I will say that you know some of these impacts you know, we, we had never imagined that this would happen 20 years ago right we all got excited about using technology but now we are thinking about how do we actually take time away from technology to you know take take time away from social media the impacts of that right are coming to uh, truth now Um, I think we're going to hit equilibrium in the next 20 to 30 years because as uh, more and more of us realize it there'll be more work on how do you balance technology with with everything else that goes on in human lives and and in terms of you're talking about wearables and the technology and glasses do you think implantables will happen too? 
Oh, I, I think it's being already experimented on where there were barcodes uh, embedded in pe- people's um, skin. Uh, hands. Yep. Yeah, skin, just so that they could scan and easy. And it all, it'll all come to individual choice. You know, uh, you, you might choose to embed it. I might choose not to. So I think that need around privacy, understanding technology and the impacts, uh, the literacy, coming back to that, yeah, yeah. right, will be more important. Well, and that's one of the things I really like that we we're talking about today's show is I think one of the main differences, technology advances exponentially. And so in the in, even when the internet was forming, because an overused example is to compare something to how fast it was adopted for the internet. Um, it still took time and it was still, t- when I worked for Cisco Systems in my first three weeks, uh, an errant router took out half the Western United States. So the entire internet was down in 1998 for half the United States. And it was more of a interesting thing. It was more of a curiosity. It didn't affect e-commerce yet. Yeah. But imagine that happening today. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't imagine it, right? And so we will figure out a way of how to balance it, Right. Uh, how do we educate ourselves on taking breaks from technology? We've not been trained, but I do see that happening more and more where we're teaching mindfulness and meditation in schools. That those were would have been considered ridiculous when I was going to school 40 years ago, right? There was no such, you know, even discussion about it. But today, you know, we are more aware of it. And, and I think that uh, at some degree, we talk a lot about AI and the impact of consumers but AI is actually affecting corporations as well. So I'll bring up an example. One of the companies I advise, Aeronide, a drone as a service company. So it's yeah. really a managed service. It's not so much about the drone, but the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, the computer vision. You know, we, we had a, a client who called us who does uh, raw materials and had uh, misallocated the amount of materials they had left. As, so they asked if we could do a volumetric scan mm-hmm. of the entire because it's still by humans, it's still done yeah. manually by observation. Yeah. And sometimes they have, uh, their estimates are wildly off. But for the ability for something like a drone to use uh, a volumetric scan to say, hey, you absolutely have this much material left to make whatever product you need. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, the abil- ability to do uh, crop estimations for mm-hmm. planting. So you think about your example earlier about the farmer's almanac. Yeah. And you have to take, now you actually know the conditions. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of IoT sensors. You can do temperature, climate. Yeah. Uh, there's cameras that can go an inch beneath the soil. Yeah. And these are all things that are definitely going to be beneficial yep. to farmers. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. So, Bina, with just the last minute we have today, what are some final thoughts you have? Uh, I think the best way about uh, to think about artificial intelligence, this is how I think about it, like in the first industrial revolution, we invented steam engines and steam and we tapped into the power of steam. That extended our physical abilities. We were able to do more, which didn't require sheer hum- just human physical strength, right? I think with AI, we are going to be able to extend our mental or uh, brain abilities in a way that uh, steam engine work for physical, this is going to work for mental. So net, net, it's going to be good. All right. <laughs> Well, Bina, thanks again for being here. Keith, I really enjoyed being on the show. I always have so much fun chatting with you. It's always timely and uh, engaging, interesting discussions, which a lot of times open my mind as well to things uh, that you are seeing and learning. And thank you for being a board advisor for Humans for AI. Thank you, Keith. So 
Thanks for being with Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. If you want to find out more about how to apply for Humans for AI and the Fisher Institute's program on artificial intelligence literacy, be sure to email info at humansforai.com. Connect with us, info at svn.biz. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 